All right, welcome back, everybody. Thirsty Thursday, number 13, the, the big 13, one, three. Here we go. Let's see if um, if we can get this one kicked off a little better than some of our previous ones. Um, you know, being uh, being the unlucky 13, we're going we're gonna to make it right tonight. So tonight we're talking about the art of EMS in the fire service, and we are, are honored to be joined by Chief Greg Temple of the Fort Bend County um, EMS uh, in Fort Bend, Texas. Um, so as we typically do, first off, cheers, boys. It's always great to see you. You got to drink Gatorade, so. Yeah. Has to, has to go from here to uh, ride on a fire engine tonight, so he's going to. We'll, we'll catch up and have our have our cheers another night. There you go. I like that. And Freddie Singer, for you working tonight in Berlin City, you can have that cigar. I'm going to drink my natural light. This one's for you, buddy. So, um, again, my name is Ben, uh, volunteer captain in Salisbury, Maryland. I've been in the fire service uh, in Salisbury for 13 years. So uh, we'll go ahead and kick it around the room and get down to, to Chief Temple and, and kick tonight off. So go ahead, Trevor. Great. Thanks, man. Um, I'm really excited to have everybody on tonight. One of the great things that uh, kind of ties us all together, the four blocks on this screen, is we've all worked for the same department at one point in our history. And Bobby and Greg especially um, have worked for not only the same department that you and I have worked for, Ben, at one point in time, but also they've worked for a very progressive uh, EMS system as well and brought a lot of things to the table. And before we even go any further, uh, I just want to say, you know, how honored we are, Greg, to have you on tonight. Uh, you know, you and I go way, way back, uh, you know, further back in the years than we probably care to remember. But there's a lot of things that working in, in Ocean City, we thought we were very much ahead of the curve. And, um, you know, we, we seem to be one of the premier agencies in the state. And when Greg came to us, um, you know, as you know, young guy, kind of full of piss and vinegar, but very well experienced and educated, uh, there's a lot of things that he brought to us that, you know, we don't. Sometimes you, you get so far behind that you think you're in first place. And I'm not saying we were quite that bad, uh, which you know, we had a lot of things going for us. But you know, Greg brought uh, you know, RSI to our department, uh, Rapid Sequence Innovation. And that was something that we had talked about for years. We batted around and we really had tried. But until uh, Greg came in and just had a completely different view and was very innovative and was able to get that to fruition, that brought us from a certain, you know, a level where we were doing pretty well to a, a level of excellence that we hadn't even considered. So, and Bobby worked for that same system, uh, you know, not only in a uh, provider capacity, but also as a supervisory capacity. So with that, uh, very excited to have these guys in here tonight. Uh, EMS is one of those things that a lot of times we're too cool to talk about in the fire service. You know, I know I'm a truck monkey by, uh, by reputation, but if you're going to do something, do it well, do it right. And you know, the two guys in the bottom blocks of the screen, not taking anything away from you, Ben, but uh, you know, these are two people in the fire and EMS service that you know I look to uh, and have quite a bit of respect for to not only think outside the box, but also innovate and bring things to fruition. So with that, Bobby, let me kick it over to you and uh, for a little introduction and uh, take us into Greg. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. Uh, welcome, Greg. Good to see you again. Um, I'm not giving my age away, but I got to see Greg grow up in the fire service um, from a small guy. Um, so, yeah, uh, 32 years in the fire service, and I guess tonight I need to qualify it with 28 years as a paramedic. Uh, before I went to Ocean City Fire Department, I've been there about 20 years. I did uh, nine and a half years in uh, 
uh, Sussex County, Delaware for Sussex County EMS, uh, which was a ALS uh, agency with chase units. And I did do three and a half years as a, a captain or a shift supervisor up there. Um, you know, the one thing I kind of want to kick off before we even turn it over to Greg, um, you know, EMS has always been kind of the, 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 the third soul in the fire service, um, mostly because it's pretty new. Um, you know, the fire service has been around since Ben Franklin started figuring things out. And, um, you know, this, uh, the EMS thing is, I guess, the 60s was where it really started kind of taking off, I suppose. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, for all the calls we're going on and all these busy stations, every single station that puts themselves up as the top responders for a truck company or the top responders for an engine company, I guarantee you they're stacking it with EMS calls. Um, that's just kind of how this whole game works. So. Uh, one thing to take home from all of this is um, almost everybody in our country is going to be touched by EMS in their lifetime. Um, only maybe one out of 10 people are going to be touched by the fire service. So when we're going on these EMS calls, um, we're representing our fire department, you know, our EMS agency, uh, whatever it may be. And so it's just something to think about is that, you know, if we don't want to be there, uh, we tend to not hide things well as firefighters. And if we don't want to be there, they know you don't want to be there. And um, that's a lot more harmful to us than not giving out the plastic help to the kid when they come by the firehouse. So just, it's, we, we talk to these people all the time. I use it for pre-planning for fires and stuff like that. I use it for, you know, checking buildings out and things like that. Um, if we weren't going on EMS calls, we would really be much less uh, familiar with our buildings, with our parking lots, with our ways around and things like that too, so. Uh, Greg, great to have you, brother. Um, let's go ahead with your introduction. Well, thank you. Thanks for uh, for having me, guys. I really do appreciate. It. I've been watching your episodes uh, over the past several weeks, and um, it was it was an honor to get the get a, you know the email saying, "Hey, come on and be on board with us." I didn't realize it was a uh, unlucky thirteen. So hopefully we do we do this well. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've been blessed with a with a career in fire and EMS now for for thirty years as well. Um, started off in 1990 as a volunteer in Delaware um, with Millville. Um, served in numerous capacities there. That, that led to my uh, going to college in Virginia Beach, Virginia, uh, where I got my paramedic. And then again, to kick it off, as Bobby, you mentioned, you know, Sussex County EMS was, was really where I kind of dug my heels in and, and for eight years um, was part of that system who was just light years ahead of, of you know, a lot of other ones. Um, but my desire to be in the fire service, you know, really, um, and to be a career firefighter, you know, took hold and, and Ocean City was the closest one. It's where everybody wanted to work and that's where I wanted to work. And, and, uh, so I did enjoy, um, I say a, a short career there, another eight years, um, with Ocean City, but I absolutely, um, was able to balance, uh, and I, and I hope that we are going to talk about this, you know, as, as we discuss this, but really balance that love, um, for both for fire and EMS. Um, in 2010, I moved to Texas, uh, worked in EMS for a couple of years, uh, started trying to finish my uh, associates and bachelors in fire science. Um, was fortunate enough to, to land a position with the Anchorage Fire Department as an assistant chief of operations. So I spent two years up in Anchorage um, with some great folks up there. Uh, shout out to Paul Urbano, um, senior at, at uh, Station One. Trevor's wearing a sh you know, big house shirt. Um, so that was, again, for me, growth-wise uh, and leadership and, and in the fire and EMS service was a great opportunity. Um, but then I came home to Texas, and I've been here at Fort Bend County EMS now for, for five years. 
Um, so again, my love and passion for both um, still has kind of bled over because I'm also a lieutenant with the Stafford Fire Department. Um, so that's where I'll, I'll leave it here tonight and go, uh, go be in the right front seat of Engine 22. So I'm still dabbling in both. And I think that a lot of us uh, that are in the fire and EMS service have have probably you know stepped through these landmines and have have uh, really navigated these waters um, to how can how can you be excited for uh, that cardiac arrest and you know just like you are for that structure fire um, so I think we'll probably cover some of those topics but you know you know Bobby you've always been a big inspiration I, I make the joke um, because I remember riding in the back of the ambulance with you and you know paramedic 823 and I remembered your number for for probably you know like I said 28 30 years. Um, but you and Hoovenin and, and a lot of the people that, that started the, the Sussex County program really were a big influence uh, for me. Um, and, and back then you didn't have as much gray hair. So, you know, that was, that's how long ago that was. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, tr but truly, I think that um, there is a, there is a uh, there's, it's not even a fine line. It's actually a wide avenue that, uh, that we really need to discuss uh, being able to, to jump from, from the EMS side um, and the fire side and being comfortable uh, that you can have that discussion at the, at the dinner table. It's not just about throwing ladders and running hoses and, and popping doors on cars that you can have that same drive determination. We're there to save lives. You know, we're there to impact people um, and make sure that their worst day, you know, does, it doesn't have to end that way. You know, we can, we can definitely intervene. Um, so again, I, I appreciate y'all having me. Well, thanks again for joining us. And I, I think um, as we get started, uh, we talk about having to do both. And, and I say maybe that's not the right way to, to do that, to, to phrase that as having to do both. We we join the fire service. We become a part of this. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be a fireman, if you want to run, if that's all you want to do is ride the fire truck, like Bobby said, um, and, and you're not going to go on EMS calls, well, you're not going to go very many places. Um, EMS is 80 to 85 percent. Uh, of what we do. So you you have to do both. And in fact, if you're not doing both, you're doing a disservice to the fire service um, because it, it's it's ultimately about taking care of people. Um, so as we get started um, and, and before we go much further, I, I do want to um, throw this picture up. Trevor mentioned it's been a while um, that that um, that we got to work with Greg directly. So I just wanted to share this picture. Here are the guys. They got some some brand new uh, S or scuba and dive training uh, equipment. So just throw out the, the old picture from the guys back in the day. Still look just as great, guys. Look great. Well, that, that, that's a little uh, little bit of a throwback Thursday there. And uh, one, one of uh, Chief Temple's many, many talents and the privilege I had to work with him over the years is, you know, part of it was dive rescue, which dovetailed into not only the rescue end of things, but the EMS and a little bit of fire as well. Um, you know, I think certainly we both, our hairlines were a little more, you know, <laughs> forward back then but um yeah what i really really kind of want to start things off and say you know there, there's so many variances of ems that we have in the united states we have fi uh, fire service or suppression based ems and the system that i work in we're strictly suppression based we don't do any transport where i used to work with these guys on the screen um we work we ran all als units some places are hospital based some people are third service some people are private some people are strictly an ems service and uh, one of the great things about having these guys on tonight, especially you know, Bobby and Greg, is 
they not only worked in, in all these different systems, but they were very innovative in these systems. And I made a comment, and that I'm you know, starting out with the fact that no matter what we do, whether it's fire, rescue, hazmat, EMS, all of our skills are perishable. And we try to be the jack of all trades, master of none. We try to economize. And you can only be so good at so many things at one time and, and be that proficient. And to Greg's point, you know, you you might you need to have the same passion about that cardiac arrest as you do that house fire. Sometimes that's that's tough because you know, we all have our preferences. But if we're going to do it, we need to do it right. And um, Greg, you've never been one to uh, you know, be, you're, you're not a shy individual to you know, say what you what you feel. And that's one of the reasons we have you on here tonight as well. Um, just to start out, I made a comment in our uh, preparatory uh, meeting, I guess you'd say, to say, you know what, uh, you know, I observe a lot where you know, in Ocean City, we were about load and go. Let's do as much stuff on the road as we could because our hospitals weren't very close by. We try to do as much stuff on the road as we could. But one of the comments that I made was that in, in my experience, I had never cured anyone in the back of an ambulance. I'd either made them better or I'd stabilized them, but I hadn't cured them. And Greg and Bobby both brought up great counterpoints to say, well, yeah, that might be true in part, but you know, let's look at that 3 p.m. versus 3 a.m. call to go to a uh, stroke center versus a comprehensive stroke center, or you know, are, are we doing the right thing by the patient, or is, are we doing the thing that's most convenient for us? So with that, um, you're know, looking looking through the glass of being in a system where we were fairly busy. We, I mean, you know, you guys remember how it was. We run you know, a dozen calls before lunchtime, and that was, you know, only partway into the shift. But, you know, as 3 a.m. rolled around, our level of acceptance, tolerance, or professionalism might have been, a you know, let's be honest about it. We probably didn't hold the same level as we probably should have just because we got worn down, we got tired, and we thought more about us than we did about the patient at hand. So with that, um, whichever one of you guys wants to kind of take that on first, um, Bobby and Greg have some really great insights on this, and you know, I, I mean this with uh, you know a, a song in my heart and a smile on my face. Neither one of them are spring chickens in, in our uh, in our service. They've been around the block a lot and have every reason to be grumpy old men, but they're not in this service. They still look at the service model. So with that, let me pitch it to you guys based on that uh, comment and, and conversation we had the other day. Could you guys take that a little further? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off. Uh, if that's okay, Bobby. It's you know. I look at it like I showed you guys the firehouse magazines um, during our prep meeting and out of that magazine, there's one page dedicated to EMS, right? And even on your daily, on your day-to-day -day shift, it's much easier to get your, your firefighters, your firefighter paramedics or firefighter EMTs to go out and Hey, let's practice throwing ladders or Hey, let's practice running that line or that long line, or let's practice with the, with the, uh, the Hamatro tools or, you know, whatever. It's easier to have them go out and practice with those things than, hey, let's put the Lucas device on. Or, hey, where, where are our comprehensive stroke centers? Or where is, you know, the, the trauma center? Or, or if we have a patient, you know, when you do a, a, um, a review, you know, let's look at the care that was provided and what decisions really, you know, uh, that we've made that, that can help that person in the long run. You know, we'll, we'll tear down a structure fire scene you know, three days to, you know, three days a week, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that and about who screwed up, you know, pumping the line or who didn't run this or who didn't throw a ladder. But do we do that after a medical call? Do we do it after a, a serious um, a medical incident? And the answer is usually no. You know, these bumper type chats are fantastic 
because we shouldn't live in a silo. We should all be working well together, uh, very cohesively. And, and I use the term, we call them in Texas, we call them FROs and it's first responder organizations. And, and that's essentially uh, each fire department in my county. Uh, they run 98, 99% of our medical calls or, or tra trauma calls. They're going to run those with us. And whether they're the, the first responder or whether they're arriving simultaneously or whether they arrive after us, every one of them is, is you know, ready to help. Um, so that's, that's great for us. You know, but but thinking about um, how to break that barrier down and how to be uh, consistent, it, it really goes back to the leadership side. Uh, there's something I, I, I see here in Texas. It's called the patch wearer. You know, some departments are required that you're required if you want to be an officer to be a paramedic. Um, and then once you get that and you got the right front seat, you know, when do you actually touch a patient? You know, how how that's great that you're, you know, a truckie or an engine guy or a rescue guy or whatever. And um, you're really dialed into that, but are you up to speed on, on stroke care? Are you up to speed on mechanical uh, retrieval of, of, of clots? You know, do you know what the difference is between, you know, this medication and that medication? Um, have you seen excited delirium? How are you going to treat it? You know, it's terminology, but it's practicality as well. So the people that wear the patches, but they don't touch patients anymore, they, their skills degrade so quickly, but yet they want to bark at the paramedics that are that are true paramedics that, that run the truck every day, and they want to try to bark orders at them, um, which that's just not it's not fair. It's not reasonable because um, you wouldn't want a paramedic come and tell you how to pump a truck or how to throw a ladder or things like that. So um, although we don't live in silos, we do need to we do need to to, to stay current in our profession. And if you're going to wear the patch, then you need to stay current in both of your professions. Um, so that way you can be an, a, you know, an advocate, but you can also be um, proficient at your job. Greg, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And Bobby, I, I want to throw this to you uh, in your position as well. I remember, you know, in, in Ocean City, for example, and, you know, love, love that department, love my career there. But to Greg's point, once you became an officer and you didn't touch a patient directly as much anymore, you were more about running the scene. You're more about instant command. You're more about uh, system status management, making sure all your chess pieces were in place. One of the things I found a little bit disturbing was we had to, we had to perform um, evaluations on our personnel. So once that medical crew closed those double doors on the back of that paramedic unit and transported the hospital, as, as a battalion level officer, I had no idea what their patient care was, what their interaction with the patient was, what their report to the hospital staff was, what their interaction with the hospital staff was, what their turnover information was, how efficient they were at getting themselves back in service. I didn't know jack squat about what they did until I saw them back in quarters. Yet, when it came time to evaluate them, that was part of their evaluation. So it was unfair on both ends if they were a good provider I had no frame of reference, and you know, of course, the management at that time said, "Well, just give them a middle of the road mark, give them a three out of five. Well, you know, I got to throw the brown flag, the bullshit flag, on that one to say, "Well, that's not fair to a good provider who did an excellent job, and it's not fair to a, a mediocre or piss poor provider who didn't do a great job and got a better mark than they should." So, Bobby, can you can you talk about that as somebody who's kind of, you know, you're you're on both ends of that spectrum? 
um, you're not only working the units, but also uh, running the battalions of how you keep yourself involved and how you kind of keep a, a good focus on the uh, not basically what I'm trying to say is sometimes our performance and our perspective or you know, of, of how we do are completely different. So how, how do you balance those things in the position you're in, Bobby? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think I think the first thing I have to acknowledge, or we all have to acknowledge, is if if we train in in two disciplines, then we're not going to be as good in either one, uh, and that is the reality of all of this. Um, but you know, if we had enough funding to have a full EMS service complement and a full fire and rescue complement. Uh, that's what would be happening right now. So the reality of how we ended up here has a whole lot to do with um, uh, just the fact that they can't, we can't afford to have both agencies in, in most places. That's that's kind of how we ended up here. But I do acknowledge that that um, when I was working in a pure EMS system, I was more on top of my EMS game uh, than I went to a, a combination system where we did both. Uh, however. The interesting thing about it was I really, you know, I, I did 10 years in Sussex and went to Ocean City, was very excited to be there. Um, it's really cool when you're doing a vehicle extrication or you're taking care of somebody that's come out of house fire to know your EMS because it makes you more well-rounded as a firefighter um, in general. Um, you know kind of what's going on. I, I know when I worked up in Sussex County, there were often conflicts and it's all gotten better through the years, but there were often conflicts about the guys that vehicle rescue never touched real patients. And there's a big disconnect between this guy has to come out of this car and has to go to the trauma center now. And the way we taught vehicle rescue was a very, uh, uh, a very specific way of doing things to protect the spine. When the paramedics screaming, the spine's not going to kill them. The spine's not going to kill them. So, um, you know, to, to evaluate people on both is just really, really hard. Um, you know, luckily, I, I'm fortunate enough that I get to ride on the medic unit as well as on the battalion chief buggy. So I get to kind of do all of those things. Um, and I get to see people uh, kind of in action. Um, but it, it's, it's I, I got to tell you, it's, it's tough, Trevor. I don't really have an answer because I don't, uh, um, I think that, that a lot of what happens to the skill of our people has to do with how much they care about a particular thing. So if they don't if they don't care about EMS, it just shows on everything they do on calls. You know, um, if you're just trying to break even on that, vice versa. We got people that are strong in EMS that aren't strong on the fireside, and it's the same exact thing. You can tell, you know, where people want to be. Unfortunately, in this climate, we have to be able to at least. I think Greg said it best: professionally be able to do both is <laughs> kind of where it's at. And what it's forced me to do on the fireside is really limit what I train on. Uh, trying to try to bring it all back to really to the basics um, because you know you have to be you have to try to be good at both but there certainly can't be as great at one or the other if you're doing both so that's just the reality of us so Greg go ahead you get ready to say something here buddy I was just I, I was going to agree with you that it's it's both you and Trevor I mean it's very difficult I mean I'm glad that I'm glad that I don't do the evaluations of our staff because what I see is even even further more removed um, from the day to day, you know, so that's why our battalion chiefs are doing, you know, the three, and we actually allow a 360 review with our, with our, with our paramedics. So they're evaluating themselves. It's them being reviewed by the battalion, et cetera. Um, but proficiency, 
as a technician, okay, the, the Band-Aid goes sticky side down. You get 100%. The, you start the IV, the, the sharp end goes in the skin, right? That, those are technician level uh, areas that you're getting graded on. But truthfully, we, we really should expand that out, that proficiency out, and look at why we're doing what we're doing. Does the IV save, save the person? No. Does giving them a liter of fluid save the person? No. But does knowing that the person's got an internal bleed, that they need to go to a surgical trauma center, do we need to call aviation, you know, those types of things. Do we need to carry a TXA? You know, do we need to do a, a pelvic binder to try to help limit the, the blood spread? Knowing the physiology, just like you would in the fire service, on, on how a balloon construction house is going to burn. You got you to compare those two. And that's, that's part of the reason why I really like this episode is because a lot of what you do on the fire side is applicable in EMS and vice versa. You know, for the, for those that are absolutely just hell-bent and driven to, I'm just going to be a firefighter and I, and I don't care about those other things, you've really lost the mark, you know, because services are, are moving towards EMS-based. You know, 85, 90% of calls are EMS-based. So so why not? Why not take the, the, the leap of faith and understand truly how you're going to help? And as Trevor mentioned, you might not cure the person, but the decisions you make can either be detrimental and cause a catastrophic you know, condition to be worse, or you're going to deliver them alive. Or they're, you know, again, their, their worst day is going to be able to be made better you know, by physicians and things like that. Um, but it's, I mean, it's truly, I, I hate hearing people complaining that, oh, I've got to ride the ambulance today, right? And, or I've got to, I've got to run that EMS call. Okay, it's another response. You know, you have to have that compassion and that empathy for the person calling 911. You know, just like someone's house is on fire and they teach us in salvage and overhaul to try to protect people's belongings. Compassion and empathy. The same type of thing can be applied on the EMS side for that three o'clock in the morning grandmom who's had a complaint for three months and now it's just got to the point that where she wants to go to the hospital. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks being woke up for that at three o'clock in the morning when you could have handled it three months ago. But that's that person. They made the decision. That's the time they, they want our service. So they want our help. And, and we've got to learn to adapt to that. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree that that compassion, that empathy. And I, uh, it's one of the things we talked about a little bit on Tuesday. Um, one of the things that I, I tried uh, to do as best I could when I was um, more active riding the ambulance and even it, it's still applicable on the fire truck too, um, which I ride a little bit more frequently, but you, you treat that patient as, as it's a family member. And, and yeah, there's always that family member. That's the black sheep that you're like, God, got to deal with Ben again. Well, yeah. But then there's, then there's your grandma that you love or your uncle and aunt that, you know, are like, like second parents to you. So you, you have to treat that person, um, you know, and, and give them that care that, that they deserve. Again, whether it's three o'clock in the morning, the third time that you've been there and three shifts, or it's the first time that they've called and, you know, they, they, they just don't feel well. They don't know why. And they don't like, they didn't know what else to do. Um, I think Bobby made a great comment again on Tuesday when we were doing our test run of no matter what job you do, there's a majority of it. That's BS. Like you, like, yes, I stubbed my toe. I I called an ambulance because I stubbed my toe. Yes. I I take my car to the mechanic because it won't start. 
well, it's because my battery's dead. Like, to the mechanic, that is dumb. There's no reason why I should have taken my car to him, but I did. Like, that's that's what I that's what I thought I needed to do. And and I think uh, Bobby did a much better job of of conveying all of that than, than what I just did. But, like, you have to have that. And if you're not going to do that, then then don't be there. Like, just don't 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 be a part of it. So, and, and Ben, I, I have to agree with you. Um, and I want to I want to address a couple of the questions that we have coming up on the screen. But to that point, Bobby made some. That's one of the things, Bobby, I love about your brother is that you put things in a, in a perspective uh, when you explain them. And Greg, you might remember this. I, I can't remember if you were still on shift then. When, when all this really dawned on me, because look, I've been guilty of it too. When um, in Ocean City, we called it our August attitude because you know things started just really going downhill. We got our just asses handed to us for all, all summer long. Um, during state fire convention, everybody was somebody from somewhere. And about by the 16th drunk 16 year old that you ran, um, you just had a your your EMS perspective was very narrow at that point. And I still remember going into a, a Royal Farm store um, for lunch when we were on Engine Four and going up this just after they done, had done the uh, touch screens and punching in the order and the guy behind the counter started mumbling and grumbling at the, behind the sandwich counter I'm like hell's his problem kind of let it go well the next person on our crew punched in their order and it popped up on the screen and he's like god son you know he's cussing and carrying on what's this guy's problem Do you have Tourette's what's you know, what's the deal next person on the crew and this is when we had four on the engine this is how long ago it was but uh, anyway um, so as things went on, I mean, the guy went in the back room and he was literally throwing stuff and pissed off. I'm like, okay, what kind of asshat goes to work at a sandwich shop and gets pissed off because he have to, has to make sandwiches? And then all of a sudden I had this epiphany that, huh, that's the same kind of asshole that goes to work in a fire station that says, wow, I'm really pissed off because I have to run a fire call or an EMS call. And yeah, we, we all get our e- egos and attitudes, but you know, to that end, it's trying to put it in perspective. You, know, if if you're a garbage man, you can't, can't get pissed off because there's garbage in a trash can. If you're an EMS or fire person, you can't get pissed off because you're going on a call, and you have to frame every call as its brand new thing. And I'm looking at what like Freddie's saying. Um, you know, like auto extrication. How many times have we been somewhere where an individual who doesn't have an EMS perspective starts acting like the Samsonite luggage gorilla with the hearse tool and pounding the, uh, you know, the tool, the hydraulic tool to try to get a purchase point. And meanwhile, this person who's cervically compromised is kind of doing this inside the car because that person has no perspective. Um, you know, and I agree, we have to have that, we have to have that crossover. And uh, Rob's comments is, you know, have you guys found that paramedics seem to do better on written promotional exams than EMTs? And if so, why do you think that's the case? And uh, what can we do to help EMTs? I think because on the EMS end of things, and you know, I'm fortunate in my state that we have, we, we're required to have recency of operation. Every four years, we have to recertify as a firefighter. Every two years, as a paramedic. A lot of states don't have that. If you certified in fire in 1986, there's no requirement in most states that you have to progress. You can you can stay at that level. Whereas EMS, I think, to, to Rob's point, is it requires you to learn and unlearn things. So you don't get so stuck in one methodology of thinking because, um, you know, I'm telling my age here, actually Bobby's older than me, but that's beside the point. But like when I first started out, the first drug you gave in cardiac arrest was sodium bicarb. If I told a paramedic that now, they would throat punch me. It's like, what what are you talking about? And then, you know, it, it goes, a lot of things go full circle. So 
to that degree, I think that when you when you have people who've gone to the paramedic level, they have the ability, not that they're any better or smarter or anything else, but they have the ability to think more critically. And you know, we talk about treating the patient, not the monitor. But think about when when you're at an EMT or back in Maryland, when we had the EMTI or CRT level, it was, you know, it, if this, then that. If you see this, do that. And you really didn't know too much why. You were more of a recipe medic. But when you got to the paramedic level, you knew the why behind it. Why, you know, what is the ideology of this, of this disease process or this medical process? And you had to think your way through it and say, okay, why is this happening? Not just, okay, Mongo see this, Mongo give this drug, push drug, and things get better, things get worse. So I think, uh, Rob, to your point, that is probably why the, the people on the ALS end of the world, whether EMTI or paramedic, have been taught to think more critically and um, kind of think outside the box and figure out the why behind something versus just being strictly a, a, a process and a methodology based or a recipe medic. Yeah, I agree to that. It's um, with Rob's question. I think that that's exactly what I, I wrote a note. I'm like, okay, so first about the research, you know, that's, that's another, another probably a sore subject with me, um, both in fire and EMS is that, you know, the firefighter side, unless, unless you are in a state that um, mandates that type of research, you know, the, the day you get your certificate, you hold that forever. And, but things have changed in the fire service. You know, the way we do fire attack, the way we do ventilation, you know, the, the way we approach scenes, hazmat, you know, all those things change. So you have to stay current in that, just like you do on the medical side. Um, but the thing that frustrates me is that some states, and Texas is one of them, um, essentially you could do probably 90% or more of your research all online. And by simply watching a video, doing a, a target solutions thing or you know, whatever vendor you use. Um, but you, you basically, you could do it all online. You don't have to attend anything in person. You don't have to speak to a physician or a clinical educator or anything like that. But yet you get to check the box and you get the research, you get the new card in your wallet. Life is good. Um, but I like your point, Trevor, about critical thinking. You know, I think that that is true, that, that fire officers that are paramedics, have been taught to one study better because you, you have to really put your nose in the book to, to pass your paramedic, but it teaches them how to study better on the officer side as they're reading the IFSTA manual and, and going through their chief officer um, uh, criteria and things that they're studying. So it's maturity. I think as, as being a paramedic and, and having the maturity of taking care of your patients, it's the education side. It's it's making sure that you've got your 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 college background or critical thinking skills. Uh, so it's a culmination of all of it. It's not you're not dinging the ENTs because the ENTs can absolutely be successful in this as well. But you 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 have to you have to know why you're doing it. And I can't believe you came up with etiology, Trevor. That just whew, that was like, damn, he's he's on the ball there. I would agree with uh, hey, one, one thing real quick. Yeah. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. So don't be too impressed. He Trevor on the back of his, on the back of his computer has like these big words just taped there and he just picks one out every now and then. Yeah. I've, I've got it off screen. I got this word of like uh, paramedic and officer level words that I'll use every now and then. I don't know what they mean. I'm kind of like hooked on phonics. I'll say them, but I have no idea what they mean, but Greg, I, I'm going to put you on the spot real quick. You talked about those FROs. Was it first response organizations? I'll take you back to your diver days. Do you remember what a BFR is? 
Never mind. Okay, moving on. We can explain that one later. I, I was just going to tag on to what, what Greg was saying oh, about boy. the – and back to Rob's comment. I think, um, you know, one of the big things uh, for the for Paramax being more successful in, in, in testing better on um, promotional exams and stuff like that is um, – sorry, Hickman's comments are killing me here um, – is that they do they they there's there's a, a more structured course program to get to go through for paramedic school. So you, like like Greg said, you have to study, you have to get your nose in the book, you have to understand more to get um, to get to where you want to go. And I think to the second part of Rob's question is is how do we help our EMTs? Is I think that goes back to mentoring, um, and and we have to. We have to identify those people and, you know, the people that have given the same effort have had the same passion from when they started in the organization to, you know, when do they get, when they get to the point that they want to be an officer, they want to promote up, they want to step up is you, you mentor those people so they understand what the expectation is that they, they know what it takes, that they have to get into the books, that they have to know the, the documents specific to the organization, that they know the city handbook, all that kind of stuff. And then, when it comes, when, when it's all over and then you come back and you, you like, like after our fire, after our significant EMS calls, you do the hot wash. Hey, how'd you do? What's the good, bad, the ugly. Um, I know the, the last process that I was fortunate to go through in Salisbury um, and, and actually with the process with, with Rob, um, you know, we all knew what time we were testing. And, and when I got out, came back out to my truck and I, the first thing I look at it, look at my phone and there's a text from Rob says, well, what'd you think? You know, and I, and that conversation there is, is all a part of it too. So, you know, spending that time to make sure that those people are prepared when they go into that process. And I think, I think that could actually lead into a whole other show on um, a part two for the promotional process is talking about a formal education and, and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's a topic for another day. So. And Bobby and Greg, one thing I really want to throw at you and what you just said, Ben, kind of reminded me of it. We're, we're only as good as our last call. And that's something I truly believe that you you can be the saltiest dog as a firefighter, a rescue person, a paramedic. But if you screwed up on your last call or you didn't do all you could have, that that's where you exist until the next time you have a chance to apply what you've learned. What from your, your, your uh, experiences, not only through you know, the different departments and EMS only, suppression-based and everything else, what do you see as the true benchmarks of a good QA, QI program versus, I think, Greg, you had mentioned the other night during our uh, prep meeting, um, you know, in Ocean City, when we first started out with QA, QI, we, we called them dot cops when we used to fill in the bubbles on the forms. And it was mainly to make sure that you colored in your bubbles correctly. It really had nothing to do with your patient care. And it certainly evolved from that point and has gotten to you know, a, a much greater, more comprehensive. But Bobby and Greg, what, what do you see as the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of our QAQI systems? Uh, well, um, I think, you know, at least in, in, in my experience, um, to go from a, a system that did not bill to a system that did bill, um, you know, in, in my old system, the QAQI was really about the quality of the call. Uh, we may not always agree with our reviewers, <laughs> but it was about the quality of the call. And unfortunately, for those systems that bill, it ends up being a whole lot about billables. 
um, filling in the right blocks and the right things and, and, and getting the right signatures and things like that. Um, you know, I think the QAQI is just a feedback. It's just, I really wish hospitals would give us more feedback on our patients, but they don't. I wish every single call we should get a thing back. This was their admitting diagnosis, this was their discharge diagnosis. That way, as, as paramedics and EMTs, we can look at it and go, I oh, mean, I thought it was that. That wasn't even close. So I think that this is our, our ability to kind of uh, get some feedback uh, back and forth. I think uh, what I did like about the Sussex County system when I was there is a long, long time ago um, that it, it automatically sent an email uh, for whatever the evaluate, whatever the review was. So if you were, um, it was normal or above normal or below normal, all of those got sent back to the provider. So they knew every single step of the way. And, and back then, um, as a captain, we had to do the entire shift. So I think they got, they got people to do it now and things like that. But it's just a communication back and forth. It's just, you know, someone else kind of looking over your shoulder and saying, hey, are you, know, you sure you want to handle that call that way? Or are you sure that's what it was and things like that? So that's, that's kind of where I'd like to see it go. Unfortunately for us, it also ends up being a whole lot about billing, which we need the billing because we need to survive as a system also. So not not. I'm not downplaying that part of it, but it seems like you can get really hung up in the building. I'll, I'll agree. Um, I, th I think the field providers, and this is this is good for anybody. So looking at the fire side and the EMS side, you have to be, you have to learn to accept constructive criticism well. Um, we're not trying to kick you in the teeth, um, but when when there's errors that have been made, or if there's ways that we can improve that next call, as we we've previously talked about. This is a great opportunity to catch uh, an event or catch a documentation error or things like that. So that way it's improved upon. So that way we don't run into a problem because, you know, just like on an EMS report is, is that's your document when you have to sit on a stand to defend it, the same could go with your fire report. So in, in some cases on extreme, you know, fires or things like that, then I'm going to write that fire report like a soap note because I'm, I'm damn good at it as a paramedic. And I can apply the same principle to my fire report. So, so that's where that's truly helped me write a very, you know, very um, detailed chronological report of what happened is simply because of my medical background. Um, but a couple of things I wanted to, to touch on. And, and again, these aren't things that are probably global yet, um, but QAQI should not be punitive. You should practice, and what we practice here in, in Fort Bend is, is uh, just culture. So what just culture basically says is that you don't come to work to screw up. We're not wielding the heavy stick. We're not trying to fire you. But unfortunately, we, we do have to identify the benchmarks. We have to identify what is the base level or the, the standard that we the expectations are. And then here's how, you're, how you, you ranked. You know, and then if, if errors are, are continually being found, then that's it's obviously going to go down a disciplinary uh, process or a, a work plan process. Um, but it should be educational. You know, we should be building our people up and making them better. Apply that standard to the fire scene. OK, if you have a junior officer running an AFA and Bobby, I think you mentioned this on Tuesday, if, if they're showing up, not putting their gear on, not putting their air pack on, not spotting the hydrant or the FDC, and, and stuff like that, what's going to happen when it's a true call? What's going to happen when there's fire blowing out the windows, right? Now they got to go back and rethink about doing all those, those previous steps where if we treat it like a real call every single time, then we're going to get better. Our muscle memory improves. So we can apply that on both sides. 
Um, let me talk about protocols. You know, having modern protocols uh, are essential. And then using your CQI to match the protocol that's being applied to your patient to make sure that the steps are being are being taken. Um, pilots don't land planes without checklists. So I think most of us have been around EMS long enough to there's some systems that are absolutely uh, anal about the fact that you must you must remember and you must be able to to regurgitate every single you know punctuation in, in the in the ACS algorithm. Come on, at three o'clock in the morning after multiple calls, et cetera, you may may not remember what order something was in. It's okay to pull up an app on your phone or pull out the protocol book to verify. I'd rather you do that than make a mistake with a medication. Um, but again, I think that a lot of people maybe maybe twist it and make it old school where let's modernize it. Let's make it easier for our folks. You know, discuss stuff with your partner. You should always be verifying um, before you do something, especially if it's one of those high risk skills that's low, high risk, low frequency. You know, me that normally sits behind a desk, I, mean, I still love to run calls and I go out and I try to spook my battalions um, by keying up on the radio and handling some some simple call just because I want to stay active. I want to stay current. But they always think I've done, you know, they've done something wrong. And that's why I'm out scoping their district. Um, but I want to make sure that I know what to do. And if I roll up and I, all of a sudden I've got to do a humoral IO, holy crap, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand back a second and think it through my head before I do it, because I'm just not as, I'm not as good as I used to be. I make the joke to my medics. I'm like, Hey, the kid's still got skills and I'll still bump you out of the way for an airway. Um, and they laugh at me, but they're going to have bruises. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd be worried if you came on my call too. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things I think, you know, that, that we need to think about is, so almost 30 years ago, when I started as a paramedic, uh, we, there weren't paramedics in my county. So we were like the first ones. And um, so what ended up happening was when we went to the hospital, nurses were furious that we were doing IVs. Um, anesthesiologists were furious that we were doing tubes. Um, doctors were like, what the heck are you guys doing? I mean, we, we'd met a lot of resistance just because this state had always just had EMTs and didn't have paramedics coming in. And all of a sudden, here we were. So you go 30, 30 years forward, and it's commonplace at work now to go straight to the cath lab with a STEMI and give report directly to that surgeon, um, which is just amazing. Um, the other day we had a, uh, a head trauma with uh, uh, blood thinners and uh, we didn't even go in the ER, we went straight into the cath scan. There's the bleed you know, three or four minutes later. Um, it's truly a privilege to be able to do those kind of life-saving measures because when you cut out that extra time in the ER, you really do save lives. And and how do we get there? By competent providers coming in and becoming to be trusted by the hospitals. So if we have if we if we have a lot of providers that don't want to do their job and they don't want to do IVs and they don't want to do the treatment, they don't want to give good radio reports and they don't do stuff, we kind of lose that privilege. And it's really cool to do stuff like that. I remember even when I started, I was up in Newcastle County where they had paramedics. And we went to um, Christiana's, our, our, our big trauma center in Delaware. We went to Christiana and their ER was wrapped around an OR. 
And literally, we had a serious accident. We pulled a patient in there and gave report directly to the trauma surgeon while he was scrubbing, while the anesthesiologist was getting ready to go. And that's the stuff that we earn by by being decent in our job. And I, the one other thing that Greg wanted to talk about a little bit, you know, what what does it matter? What, what does it matter to us to, to care about EMS? Well, you know, in the fire side, I always like to look at it from the victim's perspective. Um, the fire service in general tends to look at things from our perspective. The inconvenience of the call for us at three o'clock in the morning, the inconvenience of running multiple calls all night long, the inconvenience of us driving long hours to go to the job we wanted, the inconvenience to us of the, the homeless guy that calls over and over again, you know. Um, and when you look at it uh, from a performance pr- perspective, um, why I might have a big bug about two in, two out on the fire side, um, or, you know, whether you hit a hydrant or not, and the timing of all that kind of stuff is because none of those things are for the eight-year-old in flannel pajamas we need to go get. None of those things. Those are all for firefighter safety, which we need to be safe. But we have to gauge safety versus taking care of the community. We can't just have it so safe that the community gets no fire service anymore. So how do I talk about that in the EMS? Put yourself on a vacation somewhere. And unfortunately, that is the day that you have that big MI. You have that big STEMI. Who the hell do you want to come? Who do you want? You want the, you want the guy that got um, delegated, had to ride the ambulance this month, that has no interest in being here, that says the hospital can fix whatever you have. I'm going to go to the closest hospital, even though they don't have a cath lab, because they can take care of you. I mean, I, I think we, from a victim's perspective, it's real simple why you should get fired up about EMS and fire service deliveries, because if we were a victim, what would we want walking through our doors? It is, it is, you cannot hide not caring. You cannot hide not wanting to be there. I'm telling you, especially when victims are in a bad place and they're scared and they see that you just, you know, not interested in their, their problem and, and all that. So the way to get fired up is think about it from the victim's perspective. Yeah, it's a homeless guy. Maybe it's a homeless guy that did two tours in Iraq. Maybe it's a homeless guy that was in Vietnam and never got his life back together because of things, you know? We kind of take people for granted that we know what's going on with them. In reality, none of us know what's going on with anybody else. And so when we go out there on the street, I just think the way I keep fired up is I always think about a victim's perspective. How would I want my mother treated with a heart attack? How would I want my brother treated when he got in a really bad car accident, you know? How would I want um, a, a kid to be uh, looked at in a house fire? They're all the same thing, man. We make a difference. We really do count in this whole thing. And, um, you know, I, it's I, it, that's just my thoughts process on it is put yourself in the victim's perspective and everything becomes crystal clear for you. Yeah, and, and Bobby, I mean, you're you're preaching the gospel there, absolutely, because and sometimes we forget that. You're right. We, we do what's more convenient for us at 3 a.m., um, whether we're trying to get that refusal or we're trying to go to the closest available hospital versus the most appropriate medical facility for that patient. And, you know, we, we got to kind of think beyond our own convenience. And, Greg, what, one of the things, because uh, I know you've done this a million times over, how do we establish that rapport not only with our system medical director, but with the, the ER docs, the people whose licenses we're operating under? Because I know as providers sometimes, I know I've done it myself. I've gotten butt hurt when I've asked for orders and I have a doc that doesn't know me. I don't know him and or her and they get very, very conservative. And I'm I'm pissed off because I wanted to do something for my patient. 
and they didn't have that trust and faith in me. And then, but at the same time, instead of taking the opportunity, uh, if, if time allows to go and have that educational talk between us and say, Hey, why did you deny me this? I just kind of get my ass up on my shoulders and say, okay, you know, Dr. Smith, he's just an asshole. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so from that point on, you know, I might have that mindset that, okay, if Dr. Smith is working ER tonight, I'm not going to ask for anything because he's just going to deny me. And then, you know, I've already predisposed my patient to a lesser level of care because, you know, I've, I've established this, um, you know, this headbutting. So what, what are some good ways you establish with your, your, your EMS um, medical director as well as your, your emergency room doctors? And when we worked in our systems in, in Maryland, sometimes we'd have the, uh, the uh, ER physicians would work at three or four different ERs. So we got to know them usually, but um, how, how do you bridge that gap? Well, it's truly, <clears throat> it's truly night and day difference between uh, life here in Texas as it, as it was in Maryland or even Delaware. Um, in Texas, we do not have statewide protocols. So we have individual department protocols and each individual department's medical director can allow you to do you know, carte blanche, essentially, as long as, as you're trained in it, as long as they sign off on it. Um, so essentially, we don't, 99.9% .9 of the time, we don't have to call for orders. We do what's within our protocols. Our protocols are broad enough to allow us the, the, the leeway um, to be clinicians and to, and to truly use what's in our bag of tricks to try to, to come up with the best outcome for the patient, as long as we're thinking. And then it's going to it's going to all come back around to the CQI process. So if we if we do have a protocol variance, then we're going to go back and look at it. Do we need to expand the protocol or was the provider's knowledge base not there, et cetera? Um, but one of the things I, I've got to say is that uh, you can't have a signature medical director. You can't have a medical director that's disengaged, that runs, you know, no offense, but runs a family practice and knows nothing about emergency medicine. The, that is not a special specialist in emergency medicine, um, because you know, truthfully, if if you not if you're not pushing the science and you're not pushing new medications and new treatment modalities and things like that, you're probably going to be stuck back in the '80s. You're you're back in technician level. You're 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 doing you're checking the boxes. That's all that you're doing. But when you do run into a conflict with a physician like that. Um, it's absolutely, and I ran into this when I was early in my career as well. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to go ask them a question. Don't go, you know, don't be scared to go up and, and again, during the, the resuscitation is probably not the time, but, you know, call back later or talk to the charge nurse or, or, or try to get that physician to, um, to give you a reasoning. Because if you can have an educated discussion and you're articulate with, with what you're trying to explain to them, um, they may just have misunderstood, you know, when you're on the phone or the radio, they may not have, you may not have painted a picture well enough for them to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to give you that order to push that medication that could potentially kill that, that, that victim. Um, just because I don't think you know what you're doing, but it also, especially with the hospitals that you go to time and time again, you're, you're the way you carry yourself and the way that you provide patient care to that 3am call versus the cardiac arrest, versus the trauma, it all carries with you. So if you treat that patient like shit at three o'clock in the morning and you, and you see that team of that, those nurses and doctors 
And then all of a sudden you're calling in for orders and they're like, oh, that's that guy who, who treated that last patient like crap. Is he really doing what he's supposed to be doing? Right. So you have to be professional. You have to you have to carry yourself well. You have to establish rapport and relationships. And this isn't the jovial, hey, let's go have a drink type relationship. It's a professional relationship. That's the way the physicians want to interact with you. They want to know that you know what you're doing, why you're doing it. You know the physiology, you know the pharmacology, you know the mechanisms, you know all those components, because then you can have an educated discussion. If you're if you're going in as an EMT and trying to, to school the doctor on, on, on a bifascicular cardiac block, they're probably going to punch you out the door. But if you can go in and explain vessels and blockages and, and EKG changes and why the nitro didn't work, et cetera, then they're going to be like, wow, this person knows what they're talking about. And, and let's have an educated discussion. Um, and, I, and again, I just go back to Bobby. When, when he first started, you know, it was so cool being the junior firefighter around the station, listening to the medic study at the firehouse, because they were talking about things, just getting you pumped up about it. And, um, and that's, that's really what needs to happen now, because I know we're getting close to the end, but one of the things I wanted to challenge our, our fire officers and our firefighter paramedics out there is that when you're drilling on the fire side and you're running a line or throwing a ladder, forcing doors, things like that, come up with an alternative EMS drill that you can do with it. Focus on pit crew CPR. Put a Lucas device or, or a geezer squeezer, whatever, whatever, whichever one you're carrying, you know, put, put those on. Um, perform correct bag valve ventilations, you know, get the, the, the video laryngoscopes out and practice with placement um, of your ET tubes. You know, please don't just get focused on one because you've got time. You work 24 hour shifts. In our cases, we work 48 hour shifts. Now, anybody wants to come to Texas, our paramedics work 4896s. I'm, I'm going to be hiring in January. So fbcems.org is our website. Just throw the plug in there real quick. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, but truly, you've got time during your shift. If you're going to spend an hour to drill on hitting a hydrant, go back to the station and spend an hour on med math. Look at pharmacology. You know, pull out, this, pull out the, the pelvic binder that you haven't used in a while or the hair traction. I mean, because you're going to need it at some point. So just spend that time. Yeah, and, and Greg, to your, to your point, and um, yeah, I, I think that there's such a difference because coming from Maryland, where we had a statewide protocol with regional variants, I'm the same in Florida. Whatever, if our medical director says we're going to do it, we're going to do it, but we better be good at it. And so we have a lot more freedom to do things. And you know, I'm very fortunate that our medical director, he actually came from shock trauma in Baltimore originally. Um, he came from the field. He was a firefighter paramedic uh, outside of Baltimore for a while, wound up down in Florida. Um, and, you know, love the guy. He comes in and we have a great rapport with him. And he he gets our guys pumped up. I mean, when he comes in just to I had him come to our last staff meeting just to you know, have a Q&A session. And he just spontaneously breaks into this training uh, thing for 15 minutes and gets the guys all pumped up. And, and plus, you know, he's just. He's obviously from the fire service. I mean, he, he uses the F-bomb like a comma. So, yeah, you got to love the guy. But you're absolutely right. And we also have to kind of get over ourselves a little bit because, and I've been guilty of it as well, where you, you have a doctor that you've never heard on the radio before, brand new guy. 
that guy has a first day on the job too, just like we did. So his comfort zone might be very, very narrow. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything about me, my background, my training, um, my capabilities and limitations. So if that guy's ultra conservative with what he's allow he or she's allowing me to do, I can't get butt hurt because that might be where they are. So again, you know, it, instead of focusing on um, you know, on, on my fragile ego, I need to look at the patient and say, you know, sir, ma'am, this is what I have. Here's what I've done. Here's what I see the uh, projected patient outcome to be. And this is what I'd like to do if, you know, if we're in a system where we have to go for the orders. And you know, it, it's up to them at that point. And we can have that conversation later on. But, Greg, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We, we have to be the adults in the room and ha- be able to have that you know, difficult conversation and ask the why behind it. Not in a confrontational way, but just in an educational way. We might get the answer we, we want. We might be treated like um, you know, some peasant. And we just have to get over that because you guys know how it is just as well. You go into some ERs and you'll have a doctor uh, with a chip on their shoulder and they know nothing about pre-hospital EMS and they don't care about what we do because they think we're a bunch of knuckle draggers. Or you fly in on the uh, helicopter to shock trauma and you've got the uh, trauma surgeon going, hey, man, come here, come here. Check, check this out. You know, have you ever seen a, 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 a you know, internal cardiac massage before? Come here. And you know, they're taking your hand and sticking it in the patient's chest and having you do it. So there's a huge difference sometimes between teaching hospitals versus just, you know, your general hospitals and people are people. So, uh, you know, Greg, I agree with you 110% on that. You know, we just have to have the difficult conversations and, and look to make ourselves better. Fred, Freddie asked a question earlier. I saw it pop up and I wrote, made myself a note. I wanted to go back to address it, but he talked about um, when you do CQI, are you seeing improvements in, in actually um, the providers? And, and again, this isn't everywhere, but this is unfortunately what you see is that most organizations don't spend the money on their infrastructure to get their, their, their training staff, their leadership uh, up to where it needs to be. Now, now, fortunately, I've got a deputy chief and six lieutenants in my training division. And what they do with CQI is that if we, if we identify that we had a problem or an issue or an error or, or, or even just if it was a wild call, the battalion and one of our lieutenants will go out to sit with a provider. They'll walk through the report. And then what we offer at that point is, is again, if it's, if it's down one path, it's remediation. And we also offer lab work. Come into our lab. We have a sim lab. Uh, we have four classrooms. One of them is video and audio recorded where they can go in. We can run them through their paces. We can make sure their skills are up to speed. You know, we can engage them at that level um, in order to, to see improvement. And we absolutely have. Now, unfortunately, not all systems have that. So sometimes you have to take the initiative on your own and go find an FTO or go find someone that's a senior senior person on your shift or in your department and go to them and say, hey, I'm having trouble with IVs or, hey, I'm, I've missed the last three intubations or or whatever. And and walk me through. Look at what I'm doing. Get a, get a Fred the head out and, and practice intubations. Um, again, it's it's not as realistic as, as, as a human being, but at least the mechanics can be checked and verified that you're doing things correctly there. Um, a lot of it's being humble. Ask for help, you know, have grace, admit that, you know, there's, there's areas that you can, you can improve upon and, and, and get that help because again, whether it's flowing water with a smoothbore nozzle or whether it's starting IVs, you know, again, draw your own comparisons, but it, it is very similar. But before we get, 
going on much more. I'm going to jump in. Um, we're, we're just over an hour, and I know uh, Chief Temple has to get to Lieutenant Temple. So uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up. So, um, Trevor, well, you, you want to go first, or you want me to come back to you? Yep, um, I'll, I'll get my jabber drawing out of the way. Uh, guys, thank you again for tonight. We could go on about this for hours and probably have so many different subsets of conversation. Um, Bobby and Greg, especially, you guys have such a diversity of experience and skill in the EMS, well, in all worlds, but all especially in the EMS world that you bring to the table. And I uh, really appreciate you sharing that tonight. Um, you know, as always, we always encourage the people viewing this to reach out with any questions. And, you know, as, as much as sometimes we default to say, OK, I'd rather be fighting a fire, you know, doing a vehicle extrication. If we're going to do something, we need to be good at it and we need to put the sweat equity into it just like we do anything else. To Greg's point, um, you know, especially on those uh, low frequency, high impact events, practice on them. And even the things that we think we do well, practice on them, because sometimes your, you know, your performance or perception can be very much or very different. Uh, we think we might be really, really good at something and we might not be quite as good as we think we are um, just because we're in a bubble. Take that constructive criticism from the outside. Go to your mentors in the fire service. And just like you know, Bobby, I, I still do it right now. And Greg, at, at you as well. I'll show up on the most routine call and they see a guy in a white shirt with glitter shit on his collar and like, oh, my God, what's wrong? Are we being audited as you know, what's what's happening here? Is, is, is there a problem with the union? Or, you know, now I'm just kind of showing up to keep you because know, my, my skills are perishable and I need I need to go out there and be able to do this stuff, because if I'm going to evaluate somebody and you know, be able to say this is what you're doing well or not doing well, I, I need to be a little more genuine about it. And you know, my skills have atrophied as a paramedic. I'm more of a card carrier, more or more of a card carrier, more of an administrator than I am a practitioner. And I need, you know, I purposely try to find that balance. I'm not as good of a paramedic as I used to be. And I know that. And I'm um, not that I'm OK with that, but I'm cognizant of that fact that, you know, when I go and I talk to my people out in the field and say and figure out what they need in the trenches, it's a huge difference in you know, going back, and I think Greg, you mentioned it. I, you know, I don't need a clock tower and a DeLorean to go back to 1986 and say, "Well, back in the 80s, we used to do this." That's great. That's wonderful around the campfire and, and slinging back a couple beers. But in today's world, you need to be ahead of the curve. You need to stay. You, you need to be a student of the game, whether it's fire, rescue, and I know where I am. I still think rescues are those big red trucks with hydraulic tools and and you know tandem axles. Um, they actually call them ambulance or they call them ambulances here, or rescues. I mean, I'm still kind of you know, getting into that whole nomenclature, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, we, we have to be progressive in our field. Um, we have to be forward thinking and always think about the patient. You know, think about the patient outcome, not about what's convenient for you and what's going to be best for you or, hey, you know, my shift ends in 15 minutes and I've got an, at least 30 more minutes of report to do. So I'm going to half ass this thing just to get out of here. Do things right, do it the right way. And just like Brother Hickman said a little while ago, there's nothing more humbling than going into a court of law and seeing your EMS report projected on a screen. Um, and then, then you, you have to go line by line through it. So, uh, you know, consider that any call you go on is public record and you're held accountable for it. So do the right thing, do the right thing every time. And uh, but you know, to wrap things up. Uh, you know, thank all of you for being here tonight, uh, especially you, Greg, you know, as being our guest and you know, sharing your wisdom with us. I know you've got a just a 
boatload of experience and I was uh, you know, very happy and honored to be able to you know, have, share some of your career with you. So thanks for being on tonight. Bobby? Uh, well, Greg, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's, it's actually a pleasure seeing you last week, too. You came back Owen to visit for a little bit. That was cool. Um, really nice to see you. Um, and, and the last thing I want to talk about is I think some of the some of the hesitation in EMS that I see in the combination departments that run both is uh, people become scared of doing the skills. Uh, they become nervous about it. So they uh, they downgrade calls to BLS that probably should be ALS. Um, they avoid those types of calls, uh, just like running lines. Someone said earlier about, not, you know, not putting your gear on and not setting up and not flushing the hydrants when you go to automatic fire alarms and when it's on fire, what happens? Uh, it's the same thing here. If you start just doing more and more skills, you're going to get better at it. So to all my brothers and sisters out there that are riding, um, do more skills. Make more people ALS, you know, start more IVs, do more things, and then it will just simply get better for you. But, um, you know, it, it, you're, not, you're not able to hide when you're hiding uh, a, a call like that. Every, everybody else knows what's going on. So just do it. Just, just go out there and do it. Take care of people like you would your family member. And uh, I really do appreciate Chief Temple coming on. I um, appreciate you guys for, you know, discussing this this topic. This is um, a, an important topic in the fire service. So thank you very much to all. Thanks, of Bobby. You. Greg. Yeah, it was it was definitely a pleasure just reconnecting with you guys. Um, it's been a few years. You know, Trevor, I've been in Florida twice now and just haven't been able to get across to see you yet. Um, but that's, that'll change my next visit if I. You end up there anytime soon. Um, but this is, it's always been a passion. I, I kind of made a joke on Tuesday when we were warming up for this, that it's okay. It's okay to admit that you like both, um, especially for our, our fire service brothers and sisters out there that that just um, get ragged on by by the other people on their on their crew. Um, it's all right. You know, uh, it's, it, it's you're going to survive. You'll get through this. Um, you know, we, we hit all the major topics, you know, I think that we wanted to cover as far as, uh, you know, um, this can be a career. It's not just a job. It's not just something you're going to do for three years and move on, you know, make it a career, um, but advance, you know, do yourself justice, uh, go back to school, you know, continue your education, you know, those types of things as well. Um, join, we have a, a huge special operations. We didn't even touch on tonight, but we have a, a huge special operations division here with tactical medics, bike medics, tox medics, things like that, because you can get in a rut. You can get in brownout phase and just do what you can to avoid that by, by dabbling in other things, especially if you're in a dual system where you have fire and EMS, you know, um, try to get transferred to your truck company or rescue company or your engine company, you know, off the ambulance for a couple, for a shift or so. Um, rejuvenate yourself and then get back into it. Don't don't waste your time so much at a lot of these T-shirt shows, you know, these conventions and things like that. You know, go above and beyond. You know, look for things that are local. Look for resuscitation academies. Look for um, go to Pinnacle. Go to the ASM course. You know, broaden your mind about EMS in general, um, so that way you don't get stagnant. Um, but I can't can't appreciate you know. Thank you guys enough for inviting me to come on. I hope that that uh, the viewers got something out of this. Again, uh, anybody can reach me you know, through social media, uh, through our website, et cetera. Um, give me a shout if you have any questions. 
Thanks, Chief. And and just to kind of finish it up and wrap it wrap us up here and and have, take us out. Um, again, thanks, Chief, for joining us. It was it was a great conversation. I think that was the one of the fastest moving hours, hour and eleven minutes that that I remember of our conversations uh, through all of these. I would say that number thirteen is is a lucky number for us because it was it was fantastic. Uh, a lot of great information, a lot of great comments. Um, so it was it was very well. It, it went very well. Um, like Chief Temple said, if you guys do want to get up with him. Fort Bend County EMS on their Facebook uh, uh, is, is phenomenal. They've got a gr- bunch of great stuff uh, coming through there. So make sure you go check them out. Um, and as always, uh, feel free to give us a shout or a follow too. Um, all of our social media stuff is scrolling across the bottom. Uh, so if you don't or if you haven't yet um, and you like what you see, there's there's our stuff to watch us and follow us and all that kind of jazz. Um and feel free to, to reach out to any of us individually if there are some questions, uh, something wasn't clear, or you want to see a specific topic. Uh, we are always looking for topics and, and what we're going to do next. Um, so from from all of us, Thursday, Thursday 13 is in the books. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, in between now and then is September 11th, so always remember our, our brothers that have fallen uh, both uh, on 9-11 and those that have passed since due to the, the 9-11 cancer and everything associated with that. So keep them in your, your thoughts and prayers as we go on uh, from now till then. And we will see you back in two weeks. Thanks again joining for joining us, everybody, and have a great night.